Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 357. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living author interview series, we are joined today by author Tony Pirote. Tony Pirote will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program Monday, June 3rd, 2019, and the title of his presentation is Secrets of the Cuban Revolution. Most people are familiar with the basics of the Cuban Revolution of 1956 to 1959. It was led by two of the 20th century's most charismatic figures, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara. It successfully overthrew the island nation's U.S.-backed dictator, Fulgencio Batista, and it quickly went awry under Castro's rule. But less is remembered about the amateur nature of the upstart movement, or the lives of its players. To mark the 60th anniversary of the revolution, Smithsonian Magazine writer Tony Pirote draws on his new book, Cuba Libre, Che, Fidel, and the Improbable Revolution that Changed World History, to offer a look at some of the human drama that played out against the backdrop of political upheaval. Tony Pirote surveys how a scruffy handful of self-taught subversives, many of whom were just out of college, young lawyers, literature majors, and art students, including a number of extraordinary women, and how they defeated 40,000 professional soldiers. Not only did they defeat a major army, they disarmed America, including one, Ed Sullivan, who actually interviewed Fidel. The world's most notorious guerrilla leader was about to invade their living rooms, and Americans were thrilled. At 8 p.m. on Sunday, the 11th of January, 1959, some 50 million viewers tuned their television sets to The Ed Sullivan Show, the groundbreaking variety review that had introduced them to Elvis Presley a few years earlier and would bring them The Beatles a few years later. On this winter's evening, the avuncular Sullivan was hosting a Latin celebrity who had aroused intense curiosity across the United States. Fidel Castro, a charming 32-year-old lawyer-turned-revolutionary, known for his unkempt beard and car keys, who had against all odds overthrown a vicious military government in Cuba. The segment had been filmed at 2am three days earlier, using a provincial town hall as an improvised TV studio. Only a few hours later, Fidel would make his triumphant entrance into Havana, his men riding on the backs of captured tanks in euphoric scenes that would evoke the liberation of Paris. Given the animosity that sprang up between the US and Cuba barely a year later, the chummy atmosphere of the interview today seems closer to the twilight zone. With his first breath, the star-struck Sullivan assures CBS viewers that they're about to meet a wonderful group of revolutionary youngsters, as if they were the latest pop music sensation. And his first questions are not the most hard-hitting. Now in school, he chortles in his distinctive nasal voice, I understand you are a very fine student and a very fine athlete. Were you a baseball pitcher? Yes, Fidel replies in the halting English learned in his Jesuit high school and several visits to New York City. Baseball, basketball, softball, every kind of sport. Soon the love fest reaches its crescendo. The people of the United States, they have a great admiration for you and your men, Sullivan declares to Fidel, because you're in the real American tradition of a George Washington, of any band who started off with a small army and fought against a great nation and won. 
Fidel takes the compliment in stride. After all, the US press had been idolizing him for nearly two years as a citizen soldier in the very spirit of the founding fathers. What do you feel about the United States? Sullivan asks. My feeling to the people of the United States is a feeling of sympathy, Fidel says. We want you to like us, Sullivan glows, and we like you, you and Cuba. And then the CBS show rolled onto its next variety segment, a fashion show for poodles. That, of course, was our guest today, Tony Pirote, reading from his new book, Cuba Libre, Che, Fidel, and the Improbable Revolution that Changed World History. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone author, Tony Pirote. Tony Pirote, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. I think this is going to be a fascinating subject for the audience and a wonderful presentation at Smithsonian Associates coming up. But tell us briefly about your Smithsonian Associates presentation. Well, I'll be telling the story of the revolution, the Revolutionary War, and uh, which, you know, is one of these extraordinary events that people sort of know about a little bit, but they don't really know how it uh, really came together. And I'll be using a lot of photographs, um, a lot of uh, images, because it was uh, history's most uh, photographic, well, most photogenic revolution. Actually, I'll say that again, because it was history's most photogenic revolution. Uh, it was covered by the press in the golden age of magazines. And these images of Fidel and Che and the Guerrilla Girls, and they're also, uh, they're also good looking and sort of so romantic uh, that uh, it just makes a, a wonderful uh, visual presentation, I think. Yeah, I'll bet. We, we still even see the, the Che t-shirts today. They're, they're so popular with this image on them. So. Wow. He was a handsome dude. It must be <laughs> He's a handsome he was, dude. He was the poster boy for the revolution. And, uh, and he managed to die young. So uh, yeah. it's like, unlike Fidel, who's sort of like, everyone remembers Fidel as being this sort of like wizened, sort of bearded, sort of uh, Old Testament sort of figure because he hung around forever. Um, uh, but when he was young, he was like extremely charming, extremely you know, and very, very good looking. Uh, everyone always remarked on his, uh, his sort of Spanish aquiline looks. So, uh, he, you know, they, they, they just make wonderful material. Yeah. And they were both so charismatic. But the, the revolution was almost considered a little bit of a fiasco and even amateur hour by some. So tell us what happened or maybe what didn't happen <laughs> that, uh, that this really turned into an amateur hour movement. Right. Well, Fidel was a lawyer and Che was a, a doctor. They were just like these young kids, basically, you know, uh, you know late 20s. Uh, and they, had to, they all had to teach themselves how to be um, uh, guerrillas, how to fight how to, um, you know, fire guns and the, the, everything, you know, how to make bombs, the whole bit. <laughs> it's, I, I sort of compare it to if you sent a bunch of Princeton PhD grads and dumped them in the Appalachian Mountain. <laughs> you know, start a revolution, see how you go. Uh, they, they were literally figuring it out as they went. It was a do-it-yourself uh, experience. And um, that's what sort of appealed to me really writing the book is like, how on earth did they, did they do it? They had, they, they had no military training. They'd never, you know, they were in Mexico City. They were putting rocks into, the, into knapsacks and climbing mountains. And uh, some guy that they knew who was a veteran from the Spanish Civil War uh, was there trying to teach them how to shoot in a ranch. Uh, so it was very sort of, it was quite fascinating the way they put it all together. Yeah. And it's interesting, as I did my research on, on you and the book and this particular time period, it seemed to me certainly that Castro might not even have been ready 
to lead based on his youth and, and some of his background. Was he the right guy to lead? Was, was he too young? Was he even? Did he even have uh, you know any kind of schooling or training in being the being the right subversive to to lead all this? I think uh, he was an extraordinary revolutionary. He was an extraordinarily insp- extraordinarily inspiring figure. His sense of uh, conviction and his sense. His belief against all odds that he would win is, is an extraordinary thing. And he was, you, you, you know, he put this together. He got like, he you know, got a boat, you know, in Mexico, bought it secondhand from a, an American doctor, uh, piles in 82 guys, crash lands in Cuba, and then they pl- go off to the mountains and they're almost all wiped out. And they all, you know, at one stage, he's sitting by himself uh, in a sugarcane field and he sees a couple of his friends and he waves them over and they have to wait for five days before they can leave because the army's all around. But he's sitting there rocking back and forth, repeating to himself, we, we're going to win, victory is ours, we're going to win. And his two friends are looking at him going, he's a little cock, he's, he's completely nuts, Fidel's lost it. But there's sort of an incredible conviction that he's, gonna, that he's, you know, that somehow he's going to um, uh, take over Cuba and defeat a professional army of forty thousand men. Uh, it's an extraordinary thing. And again and again, after every defeat, after every disaster, he just sort of bounces back, and uh, and then finally he does it. So he, in that sense, uh, he had this incredible charisma and this incredible ability to visualize what was going to happen. And the men found him incredibly inspiring because he would treat them all. As if their lives were you know, of absolute paramount importance, their needs and their interests, and each each one of them, he got to know. He would ask them um, about their, um, you know, their, their, their family lives, about their, you know, explain to them what everything everything that was going on during the day, uh, and it had this extraordinary energy. So he was a marvelous revolutionary. Uh, he he just wasn't that great once he got into power. We're with Tony Perrottet. Tony Perrottet will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program June 3rd, 2019. The title of Tony Perrottet's presentation is Secrets of the Cuban Revolution. So, Tony Perrottet, I think one of the things that wasn't as widely known, but there were a number of extraordinary women who really stepped up, played a role. Who were they, and and how did they help this movement along? Well, it started off as a, as a bunch of college-educated uh, women who were you know, in the early 20s in the cities who were like would help the revolution by carrying... Um, uh, arms and you know helping to smuggle things, and they even designed their own dresses so things could be sort of uh, hidden underneath in their petticoats. Uh, and they have examples of those in the Museum of the Revolution in uh, in Havana. They're kind of extraordinary. But what happened was they would eventually. Um, you know, suspicion would fall on them and they'd often have to flee up into the mountains. So they would start to fight. They'd join the uh, the forces. The main one was Celia Sanchez, who uh, st- really was the, the brains, in, in a way, behind the revolution. She's the one who organised uh, getting getting the, the guns up to the mountains, getting the food up to the mountains. The boys, the Los Chicos, were a little, they were, they were full of enthusiasm and great ideas, but they just couldn't get it together. Um a, a, a criticism that has been leveled at men by women kind <laughs> <laughs> of often, but uh, it was really silly. It was just getting all you know things sorted out in a sort of a in a very practical way. And she ended, ended up having to flee up into the mountains and became Fidel's uh, you know lover and uh, main assistant, travelling around in the mountains for the whole time. There was also another example might be Vilma Spin. She would, had been um, to MIT in Boston and studied chemistry. So she was working in Santiago until she was, as they say, Kimada. She was burned uh, in the sense of that they found out, that the military found out about her. So she flees as well. Mm. And then, as soon as there's enough women, that they, became, they start their own uh, a women's brigade. So, uh, you know, and they're going to the front lines. This is kind of an extraordinary thing in 1958. Fidel started it. And it's like, you know, 25 years before women are allowed in... Um, 
you know, in West Point, in uh, you know, into the American uh, army. So it was a very avant-garde sort of proto-feminist idea. A tumultuous welcome for Fidel Castro. A cheering, singing, flag-waving crowd of thousands greets the Cuban revolutionary leader and premier. As on arrival, he pushes past police and security guards to return the enthusiastic greetings, despite rumors of assassination plots against him. Outside Penn Station, police break up a demonstration by a few supporters of Cuba's ousted dictator Batista. And Castro, in a record slow time of 24 minutes, crosses the street to his hotel, almost swamped by the excited crowd. It's one of New York's most enthusiastic receptions for a visiting notable in quite a while. Tony Perte, we just listened to the newsreel recordings from Fidel Castro's arrival in New York City to, to great enthusiasm. And your book, Cuba Libre, Che, Fidel, and the Improbable Revolution that Changed World History, which is getting great reviews, tells about Castro's trip to New York City wherein he was mobbed, almost like a celebrity, and he, and he gave this huge speech in Central Park. While here, uh, he Castro even met with uh, Vice President uh, Nixon in Washington, D.C., who didn't seem to share the same degree of awe and enthusiasm that Castro inspired among the rest of the United States. But tell us a little bit about the drama, the comedy, and, and really why this set the stage for so much to come, maybe even including the Cold War. Well, he was a, uh, it was a very romantic figure, and uh, Americans really responded to this idea of this Robin Hood sort of character, really like, you know, a, um, you know a, uh, their better selves in a way. It reminded them of the War of Independence, uh, you know, this, this sort of against all odds victory. And uh, so when he came to the United States, he was mobbed, particularly in New York. I love the idea that he, he like 20,000 people met him at Penn Station. And he would always, and the the, the police, would, would, you know, Fidel drove them up the wall because he was like, he would leap out of the car and start shaking hands. I want to meet the people. I want to greet the people. So the Americans loved him. He, they, you know, he went to the Bronx Zoo. He went to uh, and ate a hot dog. He went to, you know, the Empire State Building. He went to all these marvelous places. Uh, and he thought that he could address the people uh, directly, in a sense, the way he did the, um, the Cubans. Uh, unfortunately, when he went to Washington, it wasn't a, a properly official visit. So Eisenhower went off playing golf and uh, left him with Richard Nixon, who was, uh, and the two just didn't get on. Uh, and they, they spoke for like two and a half hours. Nixon was under the impression, was really obsessed with the idea that Fidel was communist, which he wasn't at that stage. But he was like, you know, uh, you know, F Fidel, he, uh, Nixon found him uh, naive. And Fidel came out and said, uh, that, uh, that, he's a son of a bitch. And things kind of went downhill from there. Mm. <laughs> Well, it is a wonderful book, just a, a wonderful period of real interest, something that I know the audience is just going to really enjoy. Again, we are with Tony Prote. He will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates program coming up Monday, June 3rd, 2019. The title is The Secrets of the Cuban Revolution. Tony Prote, thank you so much for your time. We're looking forward to seeing you coming up here. Well, thanks for having me. My thanks to Tony Pirote, who will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program Monday, June 3rd, 2019, and the title of his presentation is Secrets of the Cuban Revolution at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. More details will be available on our website. Thanks, as always, to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.